We are uh, in the process still of ministering in the way of Jesus, talking about that, and I'm excited still uh, about the impact that this is going to have on us. The summer's coming to a close, but we've got several lessons here left yet, and we've got uh, several li- uh, events in the life of Jesus that we have a chance to consider together, and I'm excited about how these things uh, are going to go in terms of just sharing who Jesus is and the way in which he ministered to people. Uh, the character of Christ is amazing. It's so wonderful to see how he interacts with people and the way that he blesses their lives. And in this case, our story today is not so much with people outside of uh, the close circle of Jesus, but Jesus and his immediate followers, the apostles, the disciples, and the way that he interacts, interacts with them is quite striking in this story. And I want us to see this together. I want you to turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 4. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35 and following, which is a story, it's a very famous story, the story of Jesus calming the storm. And probably just about the youngest kid in here who's able to understand at all what I'm saying this morning has heard the story about Jesus calming the story. Charlotte, do you know that story? Do you know the story about Jesus calming the storm when he's on the boat and the big storm comes up and he calms the sea? Tell me you know that story. You think you do. That's perfect. That's excellent. She knows it. I can tell she does. We, we, are, we are people who very much want to look at the life of Jesus and to see the ways that he interacts with people and gain as much from that as we possibly can. As we move into the story, I want, there's a couple of things I want you to know. We're going to read this, but first of all, storms were incredibly common on the Sea of Galilee. Like the Sea of Galilee is not a huge body of water, uh, but it doesn't take a big body of water to blow up and put people at peril. Rob, Megan and I found this out recently when we went on the day of our fishing day. Okay, We went out here to Crawling Valley Reservoir, and I've got a little aluminum 12-foot boat uh, that Gary and I kind of procured for me. And it's not much of a boat, uh, but, but I thought, oh, it's perfect for Crawling Valley. I can take this 12-foot aluminum boat out here. It's got eight-horse uh, power engine. I can take this out. Megan and I, we're going to have a great morning fishing. So we went out and we started fishing. And the only one in the water at that point in the morning was Mike Muirhead. And so Mike's out there and Megan and I are out there. We start fishing. But it was amazing how quickly the sea blew up. And all of a sudden, Megan and I found ourselves in a 12-foot boat in probably three-foot swells. And, and so I, I, like I looked at Mike and I said, Mike, we're headed in. And Mike was in a 14-foot boat, but he also had decided that he was editing because it was too much for him too. So Megan and I, don't ever do this, kids, at home, but uh, we didn't have our life jackets on. I know, I know, it's terrible. We'd never life jackets on, so I, as the sea blew up, I said, as the lake got bigger, I said, honey, you've got to put your life jacket on. And I, I was thinking, we may well go over. Like, it was amazing how quickly this came up. So I put my life jacket on, she had hers on, and we were like, crashing boom. At one point I looked and she had air. Like she was off the seat. She was up like this above me and she was off the seat. You know, she could have just fallen right on top of me because she was so high and the sea was at that, the uh, lake was at that point so big. So I know that this doesn't, it doesn't take a big lake. It doesn't take that much wind and all of a sudden people can be in peril. That happens all the time on the Sea of Galilee. Now what's interesting in addition to that is that Jesus was not just sleeping while everyone else was in peril, and Jesus having absolutely no clue of this. Now, the fact is, he was at the back of a boat on a a special kind of cushion. 
and I've, I've done some reading about this, this was common on the boats in the Sea of Galilee, that they would take a special guest, a privileged person, and they had a, a cushion for them at the back of the boat, a place of honor. So when Jesus is sleeping, he's not just gone to sleep on the floor of the boat uh, while everybody else is in peril. He actually has almost a special, it's not a quarters, he doesn't have a special room or anything, but a special place. He's sleeping there because he has that special place, a special cushion reserved for him. It was almost intended that he would have that, that opportunity to rest. And if you think about it, Jesus is doing this really because he's exhausted. Here's a guy who spends all his time with lots and lots and lots of people, thousands of people, as we know from other stories, who are around him all the time. They, I think, wear him out, and so he's got his special place at the back of the boat on a cushion, sleeping there, out of exhaustion, and everybody knew that that's what he was doing and what, in fact, he should be doing. It just made sense, given everything, that Jesus would be doing that. Well, here's the story. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him, and as a a furious squall came up, the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still, and then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, I want to talk for a moment about some things that I think were actually on the minds of the disciples. And I'm not sure I'm not sure that the story just easily conveys all the things that they were thinking. So, for example, this is interesting. Four, at least, of the twelve were really familiar with the Sea of Galilee. We at least know that Peter, Andrew, James, and John were what? What did they do for a living? Fishermen. And where did they fish? The Sea of Galilee. We know this from... The rest of the Gospels, we know that Jesus found them along the seashore, mending their nets. They eventually go and, and join Jesus in the ministry. But these guys were not unaccustomed to the Sea of Galilee. I can't think that this is the first time that they have seen a, a, a ferocious storm occur on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, I'm guessing that Peter, James, Andrew, John, they would have been out there numerous times when these storms suddenly blew up. So why is it that on this occasion, they appear to be so frightened? Now, I suppose it's a possibility that this was the most ferocious of storms. Uh, The Lord could have arranged that. He's going to calm the storm. Maybe he's going to calm the most ferocious of storms. But it's possible, too, that it was just a storm. It's possible that they had seen these many, many times, that they were kind of used to this. And so that raises at least a question in my mind, what is it that they're really thinking? What is it that's really on their minds as they ask the question of Jesus about whether or not he wants them uh, to be safe or does he want them to perish? Does he not really care? Now, it's interesting, too, that they go to the carpenter to ask him about this. Here these fishermen are, uh, apparently, I would say, schooled, experienced, knew what they were doing, knew what they were doing on the ocean, 
but they run back to the back of the boat, wake up the carpenter to ask him about what's going on with the sea and the ocean. So that's kind of interesting. The next thing that's interesting is the specific question that they ask. I want you to look at verse 38. Notice that it says, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, you might be think, or you might think that they were asking, uh, they're asking this question because they expect some kind of miracle. Maybe the disciples have seen Jesus make so many miracles before, perform so many miracles, that they go to him at the back of the boat, and they say this thinking he can calm the sea. We're thinking that Jesus has a handle on this. We've watched him cast out demons. We've seen him do all kinds of things. Our guess is he's quite capable of calming the sea. Let's go, ask, go uh, wake him up and talk to him about this, and he's going to calm the ocean. That could have been on their minds. But the specific phrasing of the question makes me wonder. What is it that's really on their minds? Because they say to Jesus, what? Don't you care enough about us that we would drown? Aren't you interested in what we are experiencing right now? Don't you care about what's happening with us? And maybe even, don't you love us? And so all of that makes me ask the question, what were they really asking? What is really on their minds as they go back to talk about Jesus or talk to Jesus? Do they think that he's going to perform a miracle from the beginning? And I'm not sure that they do. In other words, I would say that the apostles might be thinking something like this. What they're most concerned about when it comes to thinking about God is what is it that he's going to do for them? Does he really care about them? That's what I think might actually be on their minds. Not so much whether or not the sea is going to take their lives. Some of them, the fishermen at least, could have said to the others, don't worry about this. I've seen these kinds of storms a million times. We're going to be fine. But they don't understand why the one who says that he loves them so much and cares so much for them and would have clear abilities about knowing what's going on with this storm is in the back of the boat sleeping, apparently not caring for what's going on. So I think that's really their concern. And it's interesting, look at this. If you look at verse 41, what do they say, or what does it say that they were concerned about after Jesus performs the miracle? What does it say? It says that these people are, what? Terrified. They're scared to death. And in this case, why are they terrified? Is it because the sea is still blowing up, the waves are still crashing, and the boat is in peril? Is that why they're terrified? What does it say in verse 41? Who is this? This guy can calm the sea. This is a guy who has the wind and the waves obey him. Now again, they must not have been expecting when they woke Jesus up that he was going to go calm the sea. If they had expected with all confidence that he was going to calm the sea when they woke him up, I don't think in verse 41 they would have been absolutely terrified when he finally does it. But they were. And I would say that's because ultimately they don't really know him. Maybe they think they do. 
Maybe they have some confidence in the relationship. They have seen him perform all kinds of miracles before. But when it comes right down to it, when the storm is blowing and the waves have been crashing and now they've even seen Jesus perform a miracle, the disciples are terrified. And not just of the sea, all of a sudden they are terrified in the presence of Jesus because they recognize that here is someone they don't really know. And so I would sum all of that up by saying something like this. The disciples are both terrified of the storms of life and terrified about whether or not the Lord really cares about them because they ultimately don't know Him. You know, my sense is that this is where we're at an awful lot of times in our lives. We always think that our understanding of who Christ is would bring us incredible comfort. Some of you have faced amazing challenges and amazing struggles. Maybe some of you face things not unlike what I've faced in the last couple of weeks. And at times, when those struggles come, we say things to each other like, well, I know that the Lord is with you. I know that the Lord is blessing you. You know how much God loves you. You know how much God cares. Trust in Jesus. And indeed we should. But isn't it the case that sometimes our trust isn't sufficient to give us the kind of peace that we really long for? Don't you sometimes find yourself, I know I do, sometimes still with all kinds of anxieties because of the things that I'm facing in life. And I'd like to be able to say that the Holy Spirit just gives me this incredible peace and, I, and I'm just fine. I'd like to say that my understanding of who Jesus is, that my relationship with Him blesses me so fully that I just don't have any anxieties. It doesn't matter what's happening to me. But the fact is, sometimes I'm still anxious. Sometimes, when the winds are blowing and the sea comes up, I find myself not able to trust and to find all of the peace that I long for. And whose problem is that? Like, who is it that is responsible for those times when I'm actually feeling anxious? Is it because the Holy Spirit just chooses not to be present at that moment? Is it because Jesus is just asleep at the back of the boat in my life and he's not able to really wake up and do anything for me? And of course the answer is no. It's because I don't put myself in a position, in a relationship with him, in a connection with him, in a knowing kind of relationship with him that allows me to be absolutely at peace and comforted by all the things that face me in life. And you know, that's kind of the human condition, even for Christians. We find ourselves sometimes just not trusting, putting ourselves in his hands, and just not seeking him, and knowing him, and loving him, and being in relationship with Him the way that's necessary in order for us to have all of that genuine peace. 
because I just don't think that the fault is God's. I don't think he's the one who's abandoned us. But there are times, perhaps, when we're not all that together with him. And so this morning, I don't want to say just trust Jesus. At some of your darkest moments, someone may well have come to you and said, just trust Jesus. And you might have thought, you trust Jesus. This is hard. Instead, I would say something like this. The genuine trust and peace can only be found when we take the time to find out who he really is. You know, I've talked to a lot of people who have given up on God, given up on Christ, given up on the Lord, because they didn't find him meeting all their needs. He didn't give them the kind of peace that they were seeking. And so after some effort to maybe know him a bit, they decided, well, this isn't working, and they left the church, or they left the Lord. Their faith wavered, and they were gone. And what I want to say this morning is, don't give up. Don't stop the search. The Lord is not the one here who is responsible for the lack of peace or the lack of relationship. He's not withdrawing blessing. He's not keeping you from being blessed. So much of that has to do with our unwillingness to, until the end, continue to seek after Him in order to find His peace. Who, after all, is Jesus? Is He just a great teacher? Is He a miracle worker, an exorcist? Is He a prophet? Is He just the founder of a religion? Or is He all these things and more because He's, in fact, the Son of God who controls nature, who created nature? And isn't it the case that we need to give our lives completely to this one, not holding anything back, not ready to flee from that relationship at the first sign that maybe it's not doing all for us that we want it to do, but in order to stay there, stay there, continue to go back to Him at the back of the boat and trust Him and allow Him to minister to us in all the full ways that Christ wants to minister to us. What scares me most isn't that we will be terrified by Him when we finally come to know who He is, but that we won't be. Because in coming to know who Christ is, in coming to know who Jesus is, there is a, a confrontation with God. We meet the Lord of glory. And He really does have the answers because He's the one who created all of this. He created us. He's in control of all of this. He's in control of nature. There's simply no room for us to go elsewhere to try and find answers. He wants us instead to continue to seek Him. Two further comments about this. One is, Jesus' attitude is one of care. He does save them from the storm, even if He's disappointed with their lack of understanding 
and faith. And the fact is, is that Jesus, again, is not the one who's going to desert you. If there are those moments when you waver and you wonder, what is going on here? Lord, how come you're not answering? Why don't I see a quicker answer? He still calls us to absolute commitment and to faith, to reverence, to devotion. And it's there that we find Him continuing to minister and loving us. And He may be at times disappointed with you. That's a possibility. You may have faith, you think, not even as big as a mustard seed. But despite Christ's disappointment with you, don't for a moment think that you've gone so far that He's not ready to calm your storms and your seas. That's one of the things that I had to say to my family when I was there. I'm talking to a heroin addict in a car, a 36-year-old woman whose son has just died. Two days before he killed himself, he said to her, if you don't stop using, I'm going to kill myself. And two days later, he was dead. And she, I think, has absolutely no hope. None. I don't think she has any hope to get off heroin. I think she has no hope to stop feeling guilty. There is no hope for this poor woman whom I love. No hope. Except for one. The one hope that she has is that somehow she's going to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's going to be able to pull her through. He's going to be the answer for her. And even though in her life she has disappointed her creator over and over and over again, he is not about to desert her. And he will be there for her. I absolutely believe that he is there for her. And he will change her life if she just allows him to do so. I pray that you will pray for me as I continue to relate with her. She needs so badly to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Second thing is, we can't minister to others in the way of Jesus unless we know Him and His way. And much of what He wants to do in ministering is to show to others the one whom we know. He wants us to show Him to other people. And we can't begin to minister to them and to show them this way unless we know Him ourselves first. And so, so much of this story, I think, is about that. You know, Jesus did this miracle. It's recorded in the Gospels so that they will understand who He is. But it's not just a question of them understanding that He's this great miracle worker. The question is, is He one who loves them so much that He will continue to be there for them and bring them comfort and peace at their darkest hour? And they have to know that about Him in order to let that happen and then share that message with others. So do you know Him like that? And that's a completely different question than asking, do you belong to a church? 
Are you there on Sunday mornings? Do you uh, at least occasionally put something in the offering? Do you take the Lord's Supper? Whether or not you know Christ is a completely different question than those questions. And in this case, I'm not sure how interested he is on whether or not you're here on Sunday morning. Or whether or not you put something in the offering. Does he want you to? Of course. All those are signs that you love him and have a relationship with him. But what he wants is for you to know him and be in relationship with him. So that the comfort and the peace and the opportunity for you to to know the peace that passes all comprehension, that transcends all those things in your life that could be defeating you, those things will come because you know him and for no other reason. And so I know there are people here this morning who have struggles. Some of you, I know specifically what your struggles are. Others, I don't have a clue. But for both, I know what the answer is. It's coming to know Christ. And you need to know Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my family this morning. I pray that they would come to know you and that the peace that passes all comprehension could come to them and be theirs because they know you. And Father, I pray for those who are here this morning, both both those who have put you on as your children and those who haven't. For all those who hurt in various ways, I pray that you would that you would show yourself to them. Reveal yourself to them. Help them to know you. Help their hearts, their lives to seek after you in such a way that they can know you better. And in you find the answers to all the things with which we struggle. We thank you that your son, when he came here, was capable of doing so much more than just calm some waves and stop the wind. But that he's able to bring into the lives of those who are terrified this peace that comes only in knowing him. Help all of us to know you. We pray through Jesus. Amen.